Summer's winding down quickly. And uh, I, think, I think people are trying to get their last few trips in. Good. All right, we are not going to be in any one particular passage today, but we are going to be in one particular idea. We just finished looking at the four stages of discipleship, moving from death to infancy to young adolescence to maturity. And this lesson this morning is more somewhat of a summary of that. What is the goal? What, what are we maturing to? And, um, and so it's, it gives us a vision. It gives us something before each and every one of us that we can aim for, that we can shoot for, that we can walk toward as Christians, understanding what God has called us to. And it's this statement that we have up on our screen, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That was the Apostle Paul. So if you would, as parents are starting to make their way back down, let's go ahead and pray and get going in our study. Father God, we just want to ask that you open your word to us, that your spirit would move and speak, that he would challenge us, Father, to go beyond where we're at, to, uh, to shake us if we need be out of complacency, Father, and put before us some excitement, some joy, some joy Lord, as, as far as what you're calling us to as your children. And Father, really, it's the great pursuit of you and bringing others along with us. So Lord, give us a hunger for that joy. Give us a, give us a thirsting, Father, that cannot be quenched with anything but this. And Father, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this morning, here's basically the, the three points I'm going to look at. One, the general call to be imitators, to imitate. We're going to look at what that means and what it doesn't mean. Um, secondly, we're going to ask the question, what are we to imitate? Because if we don't have that down, then something is going to be put before us that we imitate. Whether it's what we should be imitating is another question. And then third, we're going to ask the simple question, why we are to do it? Why is this so important? That will be a quick point, but it's going to be a profound one when we take it to heart. Okay. So the call to imitate is in many, many places in Scripture. Here's one of them, Philippians 4.9. It's a broad call, but Paul wrote this to the Philippian church. What you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard, and what you've seen in me, practice these things. Now, from the outset, it might make some of you uncomfortable that Paul's actually saying, hey, look at me and imitate me. What you've heard, what you've learned, what you've received, what you've seen in me, practice. Some of us might be saying, gosh, I don't want them to practice maybe what they're seeing in me. That's good. It should bring those things that aren't imitation worthy to light so that we can turn from them. But nonetheless, there's many, many scriptures that call us to this essential truth. We should all be living lives that are of such quality that we can tell someone else, especially those maybe younger in the faith, that hey, Imitate what I'm doing. The things you see in me, the, hear, the things you hear me doing, the things you're learning from me, practice them. They're right, they're true. It's not just words and doctrines, but it's behaviors, it's attitudes of heart, it's practice of life. The Christian life, as you guys know, was never meant simply to be understood. It was meant to be lived. Christ calls us to understand what the Christian life is and then live it out. And it's got to bear fruit. 
Now, the word imitation might bring um, a negative idea that I want to clear up, and I've never done this before, but I want to show you a clip of what biblical imitation is not. We'll talk about it briefly, but I want you to watch this this clip. It might trouble you, um, but it'll highlight what I'm talking about. Actually, let me put my mic here. Like a man's church to the man's church of Pentecost. Of Pentecost. Of Pentecost is what I do for the one minute. Mississippi, where that Jackson is. Remember, the Lord built for us. Speaking home, worship of God. You can see the imitation. That kid had it down, right? Unfortunately, that's not what the Bible has in imitation. That that child had no idea what he was saying, but he was very good at imitating mannerisms, tones, phrases that he's heard, even made up some of his own, and this man says he fully endorses it. To me, that's somewhat troubling to see, honestly, um, because... All that's producing in this kid is a work of the flesh that the Lord will never be in. Preaching, ministering is is nowhere capable of being done in the flesh or imitated in the flesh. Being able to use certain phrases, repeat certain words, mimic certain behaviors and mannerisms does not prove anything about the authenticity of, of someone's faith. When I watched that, it troubled me, but but I started thinking, you know, honestly about it and and thought, you know, 
Really, that kind of mimicking is what many of us still do in church. We're not vocal and we're not up on the stage, but some of us come to church and we know right phrases, we know certain behaviors, we know we got to act a certain way when we're amongst Christians, and so we do. But then when we leave the presence of Christians, we're a whole nother person. I was just talking to a friend of mine who's stationed overseas, and he was telling me, asking me what he needs to do because his uh, one of his COs over him is a professing believer, is even an elder at a church here in the States, but as he's overseas, he goes and gets drunk every night with his men, and da-da, and he's, he's troubled by it. And I said, well, that man needs to confront whether he's truly a Christian, if he can do that. That is not biblical imitation, okay? Biblical imitation is much more substantive, and it's much more from the heart, um, as we're going to see. Whoop. I guess I put that in twice. I liked it so much. So, there we go. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. And I want to give you the context really quickly of what he means by that. Because he wrote it in the context of, look, you have many people who are influencing you in Christ. There are many influences for each one of us in our lives calling our affection, calling our attention, and telling us, be imitators of me. The world does this every day to you. Whether you recognize it or not, it's putting images before you, it's putting phrases before you, it's acting out behaviors for you to imitate that they approve. And that's kind of the context that Paul's writing in in this passage in 1 Corinthians 4. But he he's basically grabs a hold of those people, he says, look, you might have many people in your life, you might have many tutors, You only have one spiritual father, that's me. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So what does it mean to be an imitator, to imitate? The word basically, um, we get our word mime from. As it was used in classical Greek with Plato and Aristotle, for instance, that's how they used it. It spoke of imitating, mimicking someone's behavior. The Christian... Uh, theological use of this word is much more intimate than that. It refers to a broad range, is the way Paul uses it, a broad range of living and practice in godliness, in Christ-likeness. And so Paul doesn't have a problem exhorting us to imitate Him. He also exhorts us to imitate the Lord. For example, in Ephesians, he says this, Just as the Lord forgave you, so we should forgive others. There's the idea without using the word. Jesus sacrificed for us, therefore we should sacrifice for one another. In fact, Paul expounds on what it means to put off the old man, the corrupt, carnal, fleshly man, and to put on the new man who's been made in the image of God. And he concludes his exposition in Ephesians 4. In 5.1 he says this, Be imitators of God as beloved children. And so we're called to imitate Christ in His behaviors. We're called to imitate the apostles in their behavior. John said it this way, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. There's the idea of imitation. It's always been the Lord's plan to not have His truth that applies to behavior simply known but seen in our life. 
And so when Christ came as a man, he perfectly embodied and lived out those things which are true to life of how we should be as people. He loved, he served, he gave. And then he calls the 12 around him and he says, you go do likewise. People don't only need to hear the truth, they need to see it. It is equally important. In fact, it can be devastating if they hear the truth and then don't see it in you. In fact, many people will answer for that when they stand before the Lord. So this is the superstructure that we find in Scripture. The people of God called into a community, into fellowship with one another and with the Lord, and then we're called to pursue godliness, and those who are actually pursuing are to be sort of roadmap for the younger people. To young Timothy, Paul would say it this way, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So there's always this idea in Scripture of, hey, you need to follow these examples. They are right, they are true, they are godly, and they will lead you in the right way. Every single Christian is first called to be an imitator. So what does that mean for you? We don't want to ignore what the Scripture says. We don't want to follow a person blindly. Right? That becomes a cult. If someone's behavior contradicts what you know the Word says is right, you don't just, with blind loyalty, follow someone. That's not imitation. You know the Word of God, and you observe it in others. And when it matches up, that person is worthy of imitation. So from there, if you're younger in the faith, if you're immature in some areas and you feel like you need to grow, stick yourself to someone that you recognize is strong in the area you're weak. For instance, one of the biggest ones I hear is prayer. I'm afraid to pray in front of people. I don't know how to pray. My advice is start, stumble through it, but start praying with someone who you do know prays, who knows how to pray. I can remember very vividly um, going to a a home Bible study before I was a Christian and being terrified that they would call on me. and expose my ignorance. I didn't know a thing about the Bible. I didn't know a thing about godliness. I didn't even know how to open up in prayer. And so I would go and I'd kind of sit against the wall so that the teacher couldn't really see me, you know, hide behind a a plant or something. But I would listen. And I'd learn. I learned phrases. One of the most refreshing things, by the way, is to listen to a brand new believer pray. Have you guys ever had the privilege of doing that? They don't know all the Christian lingo, but they're saying truth from their heart. It's beautiful. And so it goes both ways. Those who are older in the Lord, sometimes it's refreshing to pray with someone who doesn't know all the lingo, but man, they're praying with zeal because we can grow cold in our own prayer life. It's from the heart. That's the most important thing. Biblical imitation on the part of the one who's imitating is to be from the heart, not blind, Not mechanical, like this young boy we saw. Not fake. Paul said it this way in Romans 6.17, You have become obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching to which you were committed. So taking to heart and living those things that are proper to the saints. That's biblical imitation. You, as a Christian, depending where you're at in the faith, need to watch those who are in the church who are over you, who are older than you, and start pairing up with them. 
That's how biblical imitation starts. But the presupposition of all this is we've got to be in community with each other. We've got to be in contact with each other. That's where it starts. Start longing for the relationships that this can be fostered in. I wrote down just briefly some of those relationships where you see this Abraham and Lot. Remember when Lot was stuck with Abraham and followed Abraham, Scripture says that's literally how Lot was identified. He was with Abraham. (laughs) So if someone asked as they journeyed through the land to Lot, hey, who are you with? I'm with him. That was Lot's identity. But when they split and Lot went on his own, where do you end up? Sodom and Gomorrah. As he was stuck with Abraham, he was blessed. Elijah and Elisha, the prophets, another good example, right? Elisha learned under Elijah before he was taken up. Barnabas to Paul, it's another favorite example. And then Paul to Timothy, turned around and replicated. Even better, Jesus to the twelve. When Jesus came, what did He do? He called the twelve around Him to follow. They walked day in, day day out with Him. They ministered, they slept, they ate, they prayed. They were chased out of towns, they were threatened. And even more than Jesus to the twelve, Jesus to the three. Peter, James, and John. So, that's the broad call to be imitators If you're taking notes, here's the substance. What is it then if each and every one of us is called to this kind of relationship, to be imitators of someone in the church, especially those who are following the Lord, what are some of the things that we are to imitate? One of the first ones I wrote down that we see in Scripture is, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11.1, that's what the disciples asked Jesus Now, I want you to remember the context. The disciples were very religious people. They were devout Jews. They had prayed often in their life. Their prayers were religious, however. They were mechanical. They were rote prayers repeated. Anybody can do that. But when Jesus came along and they heard Him pray, they all of a sudden recognized, man, I don't know how to pray. I I can remember... When I've been in the presence, for instance, of pastors who've been in the ministry for a long time and I listen to them pray, I always have a sense of, ugh, I got so much growth I got to go through. Because they pray with insight, especially into the ministry that I don't have. They pray with a zeal and a heaviness that I want. You've been there? Lord, teach us to pray. Many who come to faith have never prayed before in their life. One of the greatest things that we can do as older people in the Lord who've walked with the Lord is get with young Christians and pray with them. Not simply pray for them. It's easy to say, I'll pray for you. Pray with them. Again, the presupposition is you've got to be in fellowship with one another. If all we're going to do is come here Sunday in, Sunday out, this can never happen. Imitation can't happen. We're plainly called to it. Pray with people. Get together with them. If you get to know them and you start hearing, hey, they're struggling with this or they're facing this, stop and pray with them. How much good is sown in the heart and soul of a young Christian when a mature Christian will stop and pray with that person, you'll never know. But we need to do it. Not just talk about it. Lord, teach us to pray. I love the the apostles' 
uh, sincerity here. After they'd walked with Jesus a little while, they, they confessed, Lord, I don't know how to pray when I listen to you, but I want to. Teach us. Young Christians will learn the Bible through it. They'll learn the faithfulness of God. They'll learn the character of God. They'll also get to see how you walk through trials, through sorrows, through hardships, through joys in prayer. The attitude of heart that's needed will come. Another thing that I wrote down that we are to imitate is conduct and manner of life. Back, if you turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7, the writer says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's two points we're going to look at here. Specifically, the writer's saying, look at your leaders. Now, if you remember, if you were with us when we went through the series on leadership studies, this was a huge passage for me. Because before you can submit to any leader and say amen to their leadership over you, you are called to watch them. Remember them. Consider their conduct, their outcome, and the way of life they've lived. I love this statement. It's an encouraging statement. But it goes beyond simply leaders. Anybody that you desire, that you might, when you come to church and you say, man, that person walks with the Lord. They're, they have a close fellowship with Him that I want. Watch their life. Consider their conduct. It's a, it's a broad statement. And I did make a note, as I said earlier, that young believers need to be careful not simply to attach themselves to someone who's charismatic whose personality is magnetic. You've been around people like that, right? There's some, there's some people who, man, there's something that just draws you to them. That can be deceiving. Many false teachers are very charismatic and magnetic in their personality. They draw many people. They're very engaging, very lively. But this says to consider their conduct and way of life. The outcome of it is to be observed. Anyone, as we've seen, can imitate religious things, and some can do it quite well, but a godly life cannot be faked. If someone is truly walking with the Lord, the fruit of godliness simply comes, because the Lord is with them. So when you see their life, when you consider how they're living, and the fruit that's being born in them, that's the person you want to imitate. That's the person you want to go approach and say, hey, would you mind discipling me? Because I see that God is bearing fruit in your life. Consider the outcome. So when looking to imitate someone as a potential mentor or leader, don't take up their lingo, don't take up their mannerisms, don't take up the way they walk and talk and dress. Consider the fruit of their life. If it's the fruit of the Spirit and the presence of God is with them, is there humility? Is there joy? Is there power in their living? Those are things to ask before you join and imitate someone. If there is, go to them. Will you pray with me? Can I observe how you're walking through grief, through joy, through trials? But this passage also says imitate their faith. Paul says something similar in Philippians 3.17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. In the context, he's talking about faith. 
specifically faith through suffering and taking up your cross. There's a tremendous difference in a person who walks by sight, who walks by the flesh, and who walks truly in faith with God. Faith requires, one, rebellion against your own will. They're not trusting in themselves. They're not self-willed. They're not pursuing their own goals and plans and dreams. They're pursuing the Lord. That's a faithful person. It requires one to come to terms with the fact that we don't always know best. And so they come to God. They seek God in His Word. God, what would you have me do? Give me insight. Give me wisdom. Our wisdom and our insight is far inferior to that of the Lord's. And a person who's faithful, who walks by faith, whose faith is worthy of being imitated, is one who constantly comes to God's Word to seek for wisdom and insight in how to live. Especially in circumstances that are unfamiliar. You seek the Lord first. Someone who, if a trial comes in their life, and and the Lord is not the first person they turn to, and His Word is not the first thing they start seeking, it's not worthy of imitation. They're seeking something, but it's usually their own counsel as opposed to the Lord's. So it requires one to reconcile that the flesh is weak, that it's powerless both to serve God and to overcome indwelling sin. All of us have sin. That's not the question. All of us struggle with indwelling sin. Someone who's faithful, who's bearing fruit in their life, have learned the secret of how to overcome it. That's who you want to attach yourself to. Imitate their faith. At the core of walking by faith is this truth that one has taken up their cross to follow Jesus. Faith requires that, and there's no walking by faith apart from it. Paul said it this way to the doubting Galatians. He said, let no one trouble me from now on. If you remember the book of Galatians, they were always questioning Paul's authority, questioning the gospel he delivered to him, challenging him. And finally, Paul's appeal to his authority and his manner of life was was what we're about to see. He says, let no one trouble me from now on, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. You want authenticity. Look at my scars. That's someone who's worthy to be imitated. They've suffered for the faith and they've remained faithful. Paul's was a faith worth imitating. And when it got down to it, he could appeal to the scars on his back and body. So one who walks by faith has reconciled those truths. They've come to trust God, both in daily living, but not just in mental or academic agreement. We also see in Scripture this truth that we are to imitate. Imitate their use of freedom and selflessness. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, which we quoted earlier, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now the the context is important there because chapter 10.23-33 is the context. And there Paul is talking about... Actually, let's just turn there real quick. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So you can see this. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 23-30 through the end of the chapter. We're not going to read it all. But in 23 he says, All things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising question on the ground of conscience. Then he goes on to talk about, but hey, if that's causing a young one to stumble, don't eat it. Right? So there's a selflessness involved, and there's a limiting of our freedom involved. 
And then down in 11.1, it really should, should have been, as they outlined the scripture, it should have been chapter 10, verse 34. Because 11.1 is Paul's summary of what he's just said. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, that statement, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, should be paired up with the statement in verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. That's what Christ did, and that's the example Christ laid for us. Christ never sought his own good, but sought ours. I love this. We just sang this, this song, Glorious Day. The chorus said it this way, Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified. Freely forever, and one day he's coming, O glorious day. The truth of that is this. Everything Christ did while He walked on this earth, He was securing something for me. He lived not for Himself. He died not for Himself. Even Hebrews says, the life He lives now, He lives to intercede for me. And one day He's coming, and what's He going to bring? The fullness of His salvation. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Be imitators of that is what Paul's saying in 11.1. Now that is a tall order indeed. See, every one of us might have freedom to live a certain way. And most of us exercise it. I have freedom to go do this or do that or spend on this and spend on that. Yeah, you do have freedom to do that. And you're not going to be condemned. But you know what? There's a better way. And it's a selfless way. It's a more fruitful way. It's one that builds up the body, not just yourself. People who can truly live that way, where they bring everything in their life under that rule, are worthy of imitation indeed. They're going to have the power and presence of God in their life like no other, because they're living completely selflessly. Everything they do, everything they think about, is how can I build you up? What can I do for you? That's a person I want to imitate. And Paul says, do it. You're called to. That was the example of Christ. That's my example, and it should be ours. Another example in Scripture, if you're taking notes, imitate their work ethic. Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it was not because, it was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we told you, or even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now again, Paul's appealing to a right he had as an apostle. They could and should have supported him. But he recognized something in this church specifically at Thessalonica, that there were some who had a terrible work ethic. They thought that the popular saying, oh, I'm just going to trust the Lord <laughs> and not labor. Thought, they thought that was godly, and Paul said, that's not godly at all. If a man won't work, neither shall he eat. Every one of us must contribute. And so he didn't exercise his right to be supported as an apostle. Rather, he worked with his own hands night and day so that he could correct that faulty assumption in this church. And then he could rightly say, here's our rule, here's our command. If you won't work, you won't eat. But not only that, it's not simply the, the limiting of freedom. People who work well should be imitated in their work ethic. 
This is true both in the church and outside of the church. There's people who are tremendous workers that you can pick up from and learn how to work well, how to work efficiently. Some churches spiritualize laziness and baptize it under the title of trusting the Lord, like I said, but there's nothing spiritual or right about not working when you're able to work. So Paul laid this rule down, not only for the Thessalonians, but for us. It demonstrates, one, a love for what's right and a willingness to do what's right, even when we have the option not to. There are some things that, though they're not wrong, they are nonetheless not as good of an option as others. And Paul wisely exercised that wisdom in this case. The last thing I want you to write down of what we're to imitate is endurance and suffering. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul said it this way, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. This is one of the greatest points a Christian needs to, to watch those who are mature in the Lord. Watch how they suffer. Now there's two categories, as I would say, of suffering. One, suffering affliction in a general sense is part of the human plight. Every one of us suffers the loss of loved ones. Every one of us suffers sickness, trials, loss of jobs. Suffering, in one sense, is common to humanity. It's important for young disciples to watch older disciples face these kinds of sufferings. When someone receives, for instance, the diagnosis of cancer and they're mature in the Lord, sometimes it's best for young Christians to come see how that person handles that. Because their confidence will be in the Lord. They'll have a joy. They'll have a peace that might freak out a young believer. But it's good for them to see. See how they walk through that diagnosis. See how they cope with and deal with the loss and death of a loved one. Observe them as they lose a job and have to trust the Lord to provide for them. So important for young Christians to see and imitate those kind of examples when they're done in a godly way. Watch them as they grieve perhaps the death of a child, a spouse, a friend. But there's also suffering for the sake of Christ, and that's unique for Christians. Suffering for righteousness' sake is a part of discipleship. Paul said in, in uh, 2 Timothy, if anyone desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, he will suffer persecution. Godly living is guaranteed to bring persecution in a world that is godless. You will suffer persecution, and it's important for young believers to watch how mature believers deal with persecution. It's one thing to lose in death a friend. It's another thing to lose a friend because of your faith in Christ. It's another thing to be divided in your family because of your faith in Christ and watch their hatred towards you. When you make a stand on what's true and right, when you speak the gospel to them and they reject it. We in America are somewhat sheltered from this. But this is such a point for young believers to take to heart. I want to imitate those who suffer for Christ well. Take it to heart. True Christians will endure suffering as the apostles did, as the Lord Himself did. And they will do it with joy. In fact, that's what Paul says right after our verse quoted there on, in 1.6. You receive the word in much affliction and with joy. 
See, when we suffer for Christ, there's, and you resolve to it, there's true joy present in there. So those are an example of, of some explicit things in the scriptures that Paul and, and others, the writer of Hebrews, for instance, literally says, imitate these things. There are many other things that can be inferred from the scriptures, however. I read out of Ephesians, just as Christ forgave you, so you forgive others. Just as Christ suffered and sacrificed for you, you sacrifice for others. There's many statements in scripture like that that are not explicitly explicit in their use of this word imitate, but nonetheless capture the idea of here's the example you need to follow. But I want to ask, thirdly, the last question, why are we to imitate? Paul concludes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, the verse following what we just quoted. He says, not only did you imitate us in receiving the word under much affliction with joy, but you became an example yourselves to all the believers. So why are you to imitate a growing Christian, a faithful Christian, a mature Christian? so that you might become an example for someone to imitate. And that literally is that simple. There is this built-in process in the church of the living God where He brings forth people who are walking with Him, sets them over you as an example to follow. He matures those who are watching and walking, and then He matures those who are watching and walking, and He matures and He matures. That's God's program for growing disciples. The pragmatics of how it works vary from culture to culture. There's really no set structure you can implement in any one church to bring this about. But the core truth is this. You must be involved in each other's lives to the, to the point, to the effect, that you know someone and you can attach yourself to someone, grow under them, and then repeat that process with someone under you. That's life. That's Christian living. Just as there's two sides to every coin, so there's two sides to discipleship. You are to imitate, and then you are to be imitated. This is a challenge for many of us, because many of us, I'm sure, as as I do, feel like, gosh, my life really isn't worth imitating. But I can conclude one of two things. Well, my life isn't worthy of imitating, so I'm just not going to be imitated. Or I can repent of the things that are not worth imitating and say, I'm going to get this right. Which one do you think God would honor? <laughs> Obviously the second. If we, can, if we come to this place in our study today and we say, gosh, I'm just not ready to be imitated. There's things in my life that are not good. What we should do then is go home and confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, there's an area in my life that's not good. It's not worthy of imitation. Would you give me grace to overcome that? Would you change me and transform me so that you might use me to be an example to younger believers? Because there is such a need for that in the church today. There is such a need for older people in the Lord to step up and be imitated. It reminded me of that song by, uh, by the rapper, I can't even remember his name, Shady, Slim Shady. Will a real Slim Shady please stand up? You know that song? made me think of that. Will the real Christian please stand up? Because there's such a need for imitation to be taking place. There's such a need for young believers to have someone they can look at as an example of all the things we've just looked at, that they might mature in Christ, and then they might come to the younger generation and mature them and bring them along in the faith. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2 real quickly with me. 
I'll end with this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and following. Peter writes this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. There's imitation right there. He's called us to an example, the example of suffering, so that we might follow in those steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. That's that's the example through suffering. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Do you see what Peter just did for us? He said, here's the, here's the doctrinal truth. Christ left you an example in suffering that you're to follow. What it looked like. Well, when He was cursed, He didn't curse back. When He was smacked in the face, He didn't smack back. He didn't curse him. He didn't beat him up in return. He didn't defend Himself. He entrusted Himself to God. There's the worthy example of imitation. He Himself, verse 24, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin, live to righteousness. That's the truth we've just been looking at. Right? Why, why did Christ give us this example? So that we might do the same. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds we've been healed. You were straying like sheep, but we have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. The great example of this, this is why I want to end with this. Jesus gave us the great example. Peter's writing that example to the young believers. But what would Peter himself eventually do? Well, history tells us he refused to be crucified like his Lord when they wanted to crucify him on the cross. He refused, saying he's not worthy of that. So they crucified him upside down. See, Peter's writing this doctrine down for the church, but he himself would one day live it as well. And he says, guys, this is our call. So he's talking about suffering in particular. But this goes, as we've just seen, over a broad range of things. Why are we to imitate? Because there are young Christians who need examples to follow. Closing illustration. Greatest basketball player who ever lived. Who would it be? Please don't say Kobe Bryant. Michael Jordan, right? Okay, good. Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player who ever lived, was cut from his high school basketball team. And if it were not for his coach, who saw a spark of potential in him and took him individually and worked with him and trained him up, he probably would have never become and reached his full potential. But that one man saw something in Jordan, worked with him privately and individually, and well, the rest is history. See, the world understands this principle, but they don't have the spiritual tools to accomplish the spiritual means we're called to. We do, church. And our problem is not that we don't have it. We don't do it. We don't make time for this in our life. So I want to warn you where I'm going with this church, and I hope you all are on board, is I don't want to be content to only see you Sunday. And I don't want you to be content to only see each other Sunday. I want to see you during the week. I want to be involved in your life. And I want to pour myself in every way that I can into you. And I want you to do the same for each other. What is that going to mean for you? It might mean you you have to make time during your schedule during the week to do it. 
It might mean you have to get out of your comfort zone and interact with people you don't know and get to know them. But this is clearly the biblical model. We cannot accomplish anything we've looked at this morning without getting in relationship. And so if you're, if you're okay with just meeting Sunday in and Sunday out, you probably won't be comfortable at this church with where I'm heading. Just fair warning. I'm going to, as best I can, push every single one of you to do this. Because I'm not content to just be a status quo church. I want to see you change. I want to see you grow. I want to see you become everything you can be in Christ, just like the coach saw in Michael Jordan. But it requires people who are willing to get involved in each other's lives. That's where I'm going. I want you to join me. It's exciting. It's going to be fruitful. And there's no greater joy when you see someone under you start flourishing in the Lord and and you see that the Lord used you in a way to do it, a small way. That's what it's about.